And after uh, our class today, you've been invited to the uh, Lakewood Country Club if you'd like to go for lunch by Drake and Marlene Patterson. Uh, you just need to let us know. You can get breakfast, and that's somewhere around eight to ten dollars. You can get lunch, which is somewhere around ten to twelve dollars, and uh, or you can get the buffet, which includes drink, salad, steamed shrimp, you know, the whole works plus the dessert, all you can eat. So if you want to go, you need to see Mr. Drake Patterson. That's a distinguished judge guy back there. Looks like a judge right there. Or if you see me, just tell me that you want to go and we'll put you on that list. If you uh, emailed Drake or Marlene this week, or let them know you were going. Their email is down. They do not know you're going. Okay? So you need to let them know. So we have about 14 or 15 going. So it'll be a small group, and we hope several more of you will go as well. You're welcome. Um, okay, so we are in Colossians chapter 4, and we are at verses, beginning in verse 7. And you'll notice we are at the end of the book, basically. The book only goes to chapter 4, 18. So as we approach the end of this letter... From the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, let me give you an overview of these last verses. Okay? I'm going to give you an overview. I'm going to give you an outline. I'm going to read the verses, say a word about them, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to start filling in the gaps. Okay? And uh, we'll finish up probably next week. So, what Paul does is he divides verses 7 through 18 of chapter 4 into four sections. Okay? And here's how I'm going to identify these sections. Verses 7 through 9, Paul introduces the couriers of the letter. These will be the people who deliver the letter from Rome. Remember, Paul is under house arrest in Rome, somewhere around 61 or 62 AD. He's written the letter 1,200 miles away. It has to be delivered. They do not have the postal system that we have today. Aren't you glad? It's going to be delivered by a FedEx man himself. It's going to go right into the people's hands. So we're going to look at the couriers of the letter. There are two couriers for deliverers of the letter. First is found in verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. And so this is the first man who will be delivering the letter. There is a second man. This man, by the way, Tychicus, is part of Paul's entourage. And we'll look at him a little bit later. The second man, verse 9, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you, that means Tychicus and Onesimus will make known to you, all the things which are happening here. Onesimus is a citizen of Colossae who has traveled to Rome to visit the Apostle Paul and uh, he will now be taking the letter from Paul back home and he'll be staying there after he delivers the letter. So those are the couriers. 
Okay, section two. Okay. We are we discover greetings from Paul's companions in Rome. <laughs> greetings from Paul's companions in Rome. Okay. That'll be verses ten through fifteen. The first greetings come from three of his Jewish companions. Okay? First greetings from Rome, three of his Jewish companions. Look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. See, that's a greeting. The first two were deliverers or couriers. Now the greetings. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, that's John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. He says, I might even send him along. I'm not sure, but that's a greeting coming from Mark. Paul had a lot of problems with John Mark on his first missionary journey. Remember when Paul and Barnabas went out on the missionary journey together from his church at Antioch? Barnabas said, I want to take my nephew, Mark, along. He can help us carry our bags. So, John Mark goes with Barnabas and Paul, and after about a week of the trip, guess what he does? He quits. So I'm going back home. And Paul is very angry at this young man. But guess what? He's back with Paul again. Which means Paul has forgiven him, he's taking him back, and he's with Paul in Rome, and he sends greetings. Verse 11, the third Jewish greeting. And Jesus, who's also called Justice, now look at this phrase. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. You see that? They are Jews. They have proved to be a comfort to me. And that's something he could not have said about John Mark in his first missionary day. Now greetings from his three Gentile companions. Look at verses 12 through 14. Epaphras, who is one of you, so he is a member of that church at Colossae, but he's visiting Paul in Rome. A bondservant of Christ greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. To what end? That you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Second Gentile greeter. Luke, the beloved physician. He greets you. So, Luke is one of Paul's traveling companions, and he's with Paul in Rome, and he sends a greeting. Now, Paul is in jail. Paul's under house arrest. Luke isn't under house arrest. These are any of these other people, but they're visiting him and ministering with him while he's under house arrest. And then finally, Demas greets you. Demas greets you. And Demas will later be identified by Paul as somebody who has forsaken him. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He'll say that later on. So we have three Gentile greeters, one who's one who prays, he prayed for them. Verse 12, that's a papyrus. Luke who stayed with Paul, and then eventually Demas, who strays away from Paul. Okay? And then we see the recipients of the greetings, 
verse 15. Greet the brethren. Greet the church members who are in Laodicea. Not only do I want this letter read in your church, I want it read in Laodicea. Greet them. And Nephis and the church that is in his house. Some of your translations say Nympha, not Nymphus. It says Nympha. And the church that is in what? Her house. So we have two lines of ancient Greek manuscripts. One identifies this person as a man. The other identifies the person as a woman. If it's a woman, and probably the better manuscripts indicate it's a woman, she is a patroness of a church. In other words, that means she opens her doors and the church meets in her house. You know any other women who had churches meeting in their house? You know, Lydia, remember the woman of fine purple? She's converted in her household and she opens the doors and the church meets in her house. So, yes, it's Lydia. That's, I think I said Lydia. So, this is possible that this is the woman who has a church meeting in her house. Okay? Okay, that's the second section. Okay? The greeters. Okay? The third section. Final instructions from the Apostle Paul. Verses 16 and 17. Now, when this epistle is read among you, notice it's going to be read out loud. Notice its instructions to the church at Laodicea. Because I mean, at Colossae. Look. Now, when this epistle is read among you, I'm going to give you instructions to do something else. See to it that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle to Laodicea. Paul has also written another letter to the church at Laodicea. Remember that church in Revelation? The church that was neither hot nor cold. Remember that? He's written a letter to them, and he wants that letter read also in the church at Colossae. So we have instructions to the church. And then we have Paul's instructions to a person. One person. And say to Archippus. Now, if you've seen that name, Archippus is mentioned over in the book of Philemon. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So here's a guy named Archippus who's been called by the Lord into the ministry, and guess what he's doing? He's sitting back on his haunches, and he's not ministering the way he should. And he says, tell him to watch out and fulfill his ministry. So this is a word of admonition to an individual. Now remember, this letter is going to be read out loud, and Archippus is going to be in the meeting when it's read out loud. How would you like that to have your name mentioned specifically, and it's an exhortation for you to get on board and start moving and doing what you're supposed to do. That'd be an embarrassment, wouldn't it? But Paul doesn't care about whether he embarrasses people or not. Okay, you have to realize that's Paul's personality. And I think that Archippus either went like this and sort of went down into the woodwork, or he got on board and got to New Zealand and got involved in the ministry. And then we have Paul's personal note, this is section 4, and benediction, verse 18. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. At that point, Timothy stops writing, Paul stops dictating, Timothy stops writing, and Paul takes the quill from the hand of Timothy and he picks it up and he says, this is a letter from me and I want to authenticate it 
by my own signature. And evidently, Paul's signature was well known. Just like when you see John Hancock's signature, you know, on the Constitution or whatever it's on. What is it on? Constitution, Bill of Rights, whatever. Where is it on? Declaration. Okay, that shows you I am a theology student, not a historian. That's terrible. Now, look at this. He says, remember my chains. Don't forget to pray for me. I'm going to have to face Caesar in a short time for a trial. Remember my chains. And then, it's not all about him. He says, grace to you. Grace be with you. <coughs> Amen. So be it. And then that's how Paul ends the letter. Okay? So that is the overview of the last part of the book of Colossians. Okay? Now let's start filling in the gaps. Today we will look at the couriers. Okay, the couriers. Uh, courier number one is identified in verse 7 as Tychicus. A strange name, isn't it? And I had to look up the pronunciation to make sure I didn't get it wrong because I'm very poor on reading some of these names. But this guy is Tychicus. He is mentioned six times in the New Testament. Sort of interesting, isn't it? The first time he's mentioned is in Acts chapter 20, and I want to show that part to you. I'm not going to turn you to all such passages, but I want to show you the first time he's mentioned, and it's found in Acts chapter 20. So turn back there if you don't mind for a moment. And I'm going to set up this passage for you. I'll read where he's mentioned. And when you get to chapter 20, we're going to start reading verse 1, and we're going to go down to verse 3 or 4. Acts chapter 20 and verse 1. Now notice it says, after the uproar had ceased. What uproar? Well, chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus and he's preaching the gospel and many people are getting saved and they're turning away from idolatry. And it causes a riot in the city. Because Ephesus is known as a city that manufactures little idols of the goddess Diana. Some translations call her Artemis. And they go crazy. They said, this guy is coming here and he's trying to ruin our business. They really don't care about religion. They don't care about really that Diana's a goddess or not. He's ruining our idol business. This, everybody turns to Christ, will stop worshiping the idol, and we won't be idol makers anymore. And they fill up an entire amphitheater, and they start crying out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Paul has to escape for his life. They're basically eating him alive. Paul says at one point, Well, let me go into the amphitheater. I want to talk to those guys. And one of his friends said, I don't think you want to go into the amphitheater. I think you need to get out of town. So Paul gets out of town. So that is what the uproar is in Acts 20, verse 1. After the uproar, it sees Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over to that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. Do you see that? He comes to Greece. He stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail into Syria, and you know where Syria is, 
he decided to return through Macedonia. And so Pater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Do you see that? Asia Minor. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, now look, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So there is Tychicus, the first time he's mentioned. Now what has happened, you have to realize what's happened here, is that in chapter 15 of Acts, Paul goes to Jerusalem for a big conference. The discussion of the conference is this. What do we do about these Gentile converts? The church in Jerusalem, who's made up of all Jews, really would like to see these Gentile converts get circumcised and have to keep all the laws of Moses. So they have a great big summit conference and they finally decide, well, Gentiles don't have to keep all the laws of Moses. They don't have to be circumcised. But we want them not to eat meat offered to idols and to abstain from sexual immorality. If they'll do that, we'll be happy. So that's the decision. And the Council of Jerusalem says to Paul, now we want you to go back to all the churches that you planted with this message. Tell the Gentiles what's expected of them. They don't have to keep the law of Moses, but they cannot eat meat offered to idols, and they have to abstain from immoral sexual activity. So Paul retraces his steps. On his second missionary journey, he retraces his steps to all the churches that he planted, bringing them this message. And when he goes to each one of the churches, Gentile churches, he says, you know something? I think we ought to take an offering. I want all the Gentile churches to take an offering and appoint one representative of that church to come with me, to travel with me. And we'll eventually end up back in Jerusalem and we will give our offering to the Jewish church at Jerusalem. And this offering will be from the Gentile churches to the Jerusalem church to show them in a very real way that in Christ there's no Jew or Gentile. We're all one. We all have the same mission. So when he goes over here and uh, to Greece, he meets this guy Tychicus, and Tychicus is going to be a representative who starts traveling with the Apostle Paul, protecting the money from his church. That's basically what we have. As I mentioned, Tychicus is mentioned six times in the New Testament. The last time he's mentioned is in 2 Timothy, I think chapter 4. Paul is now under arrest a second time, and this time it's going to cost him his head. He's going to be put to death. 2 Timothy is called his swan song, Paul's swan song. These last words that he'll ever speak on the face of the earth. And you know who's with him? Standing with him? He met him in Acts 20. Paul has delivered the money to the church at Jerusalem. While he's in Jerusalem, he gets arrested. And he is sent to Rome. And he gets out, and then he's arrested again, and this time he'll die. About ten years later, after he first met Paul, Tychicus is still with Paul. That's how faithful he is to the Apostle Paul. 
So when you go back to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7, we have this guy who's this, this stick to type person who is Paul's companion, one of Paul's companions, one of his entourage, one of his team members. Okay? And he has two major assignments. Look at his assignment in verse 7. Tychicus, and look at the end of verse 7, will tell you all the news about me. Look at that. That's the first thing I want him to do. After he delivers the letter, I want him to give you an update on my circumstances. Uh, so, he is going to fill in the gaps. Because, you know, when he shows up, people are going to say, how's Paul doing? You know, does he, does he chain to a guard? Is it around his leg? You know, what's happening? Is he eating okay? He's going to give you, he's going to fill in the gaps and give you a total update about my condition. And this is something that couldn't be said in, in an email, right? This couldn't be said on Skype. You can't just Skype Paul and say, hey, how you doing? Huh, I'm doing great. Look at me. Don't I look good? Yeah. Couldn't do that. This had to be done in person. So he's going to give them an update and answer their questions. Some things are better said in person than through mail, by the way. And then there's a second thing he's going to do. What else he's going to do? In verse 8, I'm sending him to you for this purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. So, we see he's going to do two things. Number one, he's going to give a report, and number two, he's going to receive a report. He's going to survey the situation in Colossae and uh, determine what their condition is. And remember, what's the problem in Colossae? There's a group of Judaizers who are trying to get these Gentile believers to Embrace Judaism. And uh, he's got, says uh, he's going to look the situation over, analyze it, and then he's going to encourage you. Notice that. Comfort your heart. Encourage you. Relieve you of your anxiety. He is Paul's surrogate. He's going to do what Paul would do if he could be there. So, this is going to be a 1,200-mile trip that this man has to make. And he's going to deliver the letter... And once he delivers a letter, he will read the letter out loud. Everything that we've been studying for the past few weeks will be read out loud before the assembled church. Okay. And then he will say, now I'm ready for questions and answers. And they will say, well, when Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 7, of course they didn't have those kinds of things in the letter, but I'm just throwing that. What did he actually mean? And he will clarify what I meant. He knows what I meant. He will explain that. And somebody else will say, well, uh, does Paul sleep at night? Where does he sleep at night? And he will answer those kinds of questions. And then he will also take a look at the situation, your situation, and he will determine what needs to be done, and he will be encouraging your heart and trying to help you through your situation. He will be taking this action. So when we say that Tychicus is a courier, he's actually more than a mailman, isn't he? He's Paul's representative on the scene. Now look how Paul describes Tychicus. He describes him three ways in verse 7. First of all, he calls him a beloved brother. This is uh, speaks of his relationship to Paul. Paul sees him as a brother. Okay. Paul is his brother. He's Paul's brother. And they also have a common father. And that's God the Father. So, 
he's talking about who he is. He's a born-again believer. Second of all, he describes him as a faithful, look in the middle of verse 7, a faithful minister. That means a loyal minister. Uh, Loyalty is very important for Paul. A faithful minister. Some people think that the most important quality that a person can have is ability. Giftedness. I've heard other people say, well, it's not ability, it's what? Availability. Availability is the most important thing. And I really disagree with that. I believe that you can be available and not able. And by the way, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a thousand dollar tip right now. Okay? If you ever are a leader in a church and you need something done, you ready for this? If I were speaking at a pastor's conference, this would be my tip. If you ever need something done, don't ask for a volunteer. You'll discover they're available, but they're not able. If you want something done that's really important, you know what you have to do? You have to find out who is able, and you have to sit down with them one-on-one and ask them to do it and get that commitment from them. So there are a lot of people who are available that aren't able, and there are a lot of people who are have ability, but guess what? They don't have any availability because they're very busy. So those two things really are not the most important thing. Paul says the most important thing is not ability, not availability, it is reliability. Look at that. He calls him a faithful minister, dependability. We must carry out our responsibilities in a dependable way so that we don't let God down and we don't let God's people down. Tychicus is reliable. I try to be reliable. I really do. Because I believe this is important. If I have a deadline I have to meet, I don't like to let things slide by and miss the deadline. That says streets, not reliable. Reliability is absolutely essential to a minister. Now look at the word there, a faithful minister. The word there, minister, is the same word from which you get our word deacon. It's diakonos. Deacon. He's a faithful deacon. And the word deacon simply means an attendant. He attends to things. And in this case, he's going to attend to carrying that letter, delivering the letter, reading the letter, answering questions back and forth. And so he is going to run errands for Paul, and that's what he does. He's like Paul's ambassador. When Paul can't be somewhere, he sends Tychicus because he knows the job will get done. Can that be said of you? You know, When somebody asks you to do the job, do you really get it done? At work, at home, whatever the situation is, volunteer project, Tychicus. And then the third way he's described is this way, in verse 7. A fellow servant, putting him equal with Paul, in the Lord. Some translations say a fellow slave or a bond slave. Uh, one who is serving someone else. Someone who has a master that they serve. And the location of his service is in the Lord. 
So this is a man who serves other people, serves Paul, but he does it as unto the Lord. This is his Christian ministry. So that's the first carrier or courier. Look at the second courier. Verse 9. Second courier. Identified right at the beginning of verse 9. Onesimus. Onesimus. What do we know about him? Look. A faithful and beloved brother. Notice again. Faithful. Do you see that? He's reliable. Very interesting. The word Onesimus means useful or reliable. But in the past, he hasn't lived up to his name. He was very unreliable. But now he is reliable and he is something else that he wasn't before. He's a brother. When Paul met him, he was not saved. He was not a brother. But now he is a brother. And then it says this. He's one of you. You see that? In verse 9? He's one of you. He's from Colossae. Now from the book of Philemon, uh, which is also written to the church at Colossae. There are two books, two letters written to the church at Colossae. The book of Colossians and the book of Philemon. Both written to the same congregation. Two. From Philemon, we know that Onesimus was an indentured servant. He was indentured to his brother, Philemon. He borrowed money from Philemon, and he got in debt, and he couldn't pay it off. And so he sold himself as an indentured servant to his brother Philemon. It's not fun working for your brother, by the way, you know? Especially when you have no rights. And he's basically sold out his rights to his brother. And Philemon has sent Onesimus to Rome. Probably to deliver supplies to Paul while he is under house arrest. He's had to take that 1,200 mile trip with supplies. Probably has an entourage of people. And he's going to deliver supplies to Paul. Because when you're under house arrest, you have to get your own food, your own blankets, and everything. When he meets Paul, Paul leads him to Christ and he becomes a believer. And that's why he calls him a beloved brother. We see this in Philemon. So if you just move, keep moving in the, toward Revelation through all your key books. The next book are the key books. And you'll come finally, right after Titus, you'll come to Philemon. And what's happened now is that this man has been made, has become a believer. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Colossae with the second letter. As a new convert. And in verse 10, he says this. This is Philemon. There's only one chapter, verse 10. He's writing to Philemon, back in verse 1, you see Paul's writing to Philemon. And in verse 10 he says this, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten, means I have led him to Christ while in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, most unreliable bum that you could ever meet, your bum brother, right? But now is profitable to you, and guess what? He's profitable to me. I am sending him back see, to Colossae. 
You therefore receive him, that means welcome him, that's my heart. That's what I want you to do. Okay? Whom I wished to keep with me. If I had my brothers, I would have kept him with me, because he's very helpful to me. That on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, but as it were, voluntarily. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, you see that? No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, look at these next words, a beloved brother, that's how he describes him in that other letter, especially to me, but how much more to you, look, a brother in the flesh, See that? And now a brother in the Lord. If you count me as a partner, Philemon, receive him. Welcome him. Just as if I were knocking on the door. And you would say, Oh, Paul, come on in. This is you welcome me. If he's wronged you or owes you anything, put that to my account. I'll pay any debt that he has. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Again, he picks up the pen. He starts writing with his own hand. I owe you. Not to mention that you owe me your own self besides. Yes, brother. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Meaning by receiving him back. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even what? More than I say. You'll do even more than I say. So, what we have here is we have two letters. Both are going to be read out loud to the church. The first is the book of Colossians. It's going to be read out loud while all the people are there listening to it. And then after that's read out loud, Tychicus will say, by the way, we've got a second letter. Oh, yeah, we want to hear that. He said, well, the guy who's going to read it's outside the door. Let me go get it. He goes out and he brings in Onesimus. The no good bum brother who's been unprofitable to Philemon who's the head of the church where the church meets in his house. And he says, Onesimus, read this letter. And guess what Onesimus does? He reads the book of Philemon which says, Philemon, receive your brother back. He's reading this out loud. The whole church is hearing you. Receive your brother back. Not as a slave. More than a slave. A beloved brother in Christ. In fact, I want you to do more than I even ask. What do you think Philemon's going to do? It's being read out loud. Everyone hears it. He doesn't have any choice, does he? Whether he wants to or not, what's he going to do? He's going to receive his brother not just as a brother in the flesh, but as a brother in Christ. And now, Onesimus will become part of the church at Colossae. According to tradition, in 96 AD, there is an Onesimus who is named the Bishop of Antioch. We're not certain that it's the same Onesimus, but it was a rare name. And there's a theory that this Onesimus 
who once was unprofitable, a no good bum, you know, if you want to put it that way, has now become very faithful and has grown up in the ranks of Christianity and has become a bishop of the church. So we have two letters that are going to be read at the same time. One dealing with the problems of the Judaizers trying to convert Christian Gentiles into Judaism. And that's going to be read by Tychicus. And then the second letter dealing with the conversion of Onesimus and the necessity to receive him back as a member of the church. Onesimus is exhibit A that the gospel of Christ is powerful to change life. And then look back there in Colossians at the end of verse 9. Look what it says there. Right at the end of verse 9. They will make known to you, that is Tychicus and Onesimus, will make known to you all the things that are happening here. So both of them will speak. The longtime traveler, partner of Paul, and then the new convert, Onesimus, both called faithful, both called beloved brother. And what a story they will have to tell. Because the story is not just that Paul's surviving in jail. The story is Paul is thriving in jail. And scores of people are coming to Christ. And let me show you exhibit A. Onesimus. Onesimus, the slave. The one Tychicus, after he rests up from his 1,200 mile journey, We'll move on to another site, probably go back to Paul, then deliver another letter somewhere else. And the other, Onesimus, will remain here in Colossae and become an active member of the church. So these are the couriers. And whether we're in full-time ministry, like Tychicus, or whether we're a new convert, we are to be faithful, we're to be reliable, we're to be loyal to the Lord who calls us. Believers. Next week, we'll pick up with the greetings from Paul's three Jewish companions and Paul's three Gentile companions, and then we'll look at the closing exhortations from the Apostle Paul. Lord, we thank you for a letter that we can read that is 2,000 years old. And because it has been copied and handed down through time and put into print, it's the same as if we were there when it was being read out loud. Help us to sense the experience, the atmosphere that they must have had when the knock came on the door. And... A disheveled, dust-filled, raggedy-looking courier who's traveled 1,200 miles, not with modern conveniences, not on planes, not on trains, not in cars, but maybe on foot, maybe in wagons. And they arrive to bring this letter to this little church what an impression that must have made that Paul, so many miles away, 
facing his own difficulties would be thinking of them in their situation. Lord, what a joy it must have been when they learned that scores were getting saved and Onesimus was one of them, one of their own, who is now coming back home. Help us to realize, Lord, that we don't experience that kind of joy oftentimes in the 21st century. We don't, we don't get what it took to get a letter to somebody in those days. And what a single letter meant to an entire congregation, how it changed the whole complexion of the congregation. Gave them wisdom, gave them instruction, gave them encouragement. Oh Lord, help us to read the Bible and get the same kind of encouragement from it in our own situation. In Christ's name, amen.